Welcome to Pure Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 203. Yeah. And uh, you know what I'm excited about this? We already had lively conversations before this. So I'm anticipating this is going to be a lively conversation. Yeah, except for I have a feeling we'll probably agree with most of the things in here. Okay. Conversations. Yeah. A lot of times the conversations we have off air are just uh, Orlando and I yelling and throwing things at each other. But we're still friends. That's the thing. We always get in the comments. People are like, man, Mike's so mean or... Or Orlando, like, don't take that. I'm like, nah, like, this is, this is, this is Mike and I. Oh, I like how you threw in there that, like, it was all me to you. No, well, am I mean to, I interrupt you all the time. That I'll admit. So, but no, it's not that you're mean. It's just that I've always said people are in different stages of life. And I always say in their 20s and 30s, you're like adamant about stuff. And then when you get in your 40s, now I'm 41, I'm speaking like I know, but I'm not as adamant as I used to be about stuff. Yeah. You lost, you lost some of your passion. No, I haven't lost it. Speak Grit is the book we're going to be reading today. Great segue. Hey, but before we get started, if you haven't yet sponsored us on buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle, please do so. You know, for less than a dollar per episode, you can let us know how much you appreciate the podcast dropping and it will hopefully in the future allow us to do more than the podcast. As always, our podcast, no paywall. And there's a lot of podcasts you can listen to out there. And just like Southwest Airlines says, thank you for choosing us to be your podcast that you listen to. Yeah. And we are the only podcast that will consistently be free for you to listen to all our episodes. So, hey, five bucks a month, not a big deal, but would love it, love it if you would sponsor us because definitely allows us to do more. That's right. All right. I have a huge like diatribe or or soapbox to intro this, but yeah, what are you, no, what's your initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a book we've uh, we've talked about doing for a while. So we're doing grit, uh, and it kind of goes along some of the ideas we've talked in the past about like growth mindset and fixed mindset and all of this stuff. It's kind of related, uh, and grit is is definitely one that um, I've read uh, in the past, and I was excited to go through again uh, because it it is a, a great book and kind of discussing what it is that really separates those who are successful and who achieve a lot in life versus those who don't. And a lot of times we have a false. Um, preference or a false bias towards thinking that success comes from uh, talent and it comes from uh, just natural ability or we don't really think often that people work hard. But for those of us who've worked really hard for things, when you see success in another person, you recognize, I mean, they've. I always picture that great meme of like somebody standing at the top of the hill and um, everybody at the bottom, like thinking like, wow, must have been an easy, like, look at how great his life is. And then you don't see the hill he walked up was barefoot and like covered in glass, right? Like all of the hard, difficult things to get to where they were. But you see a lot of times the finished final product and you think, man, like this person is lucky or they're talented or they're just a natural. And uh, Angela Duckworth in her book, Grit, really goes through uh, decades of study and 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 research into what it is that truly makes those who are successful successful, and gives insight into how to how to increase that in your own life. So that's a great segue to what I was going to share as an intro to our level up review. So you had mentioned the idea that there's decades and decades of research, and see, this is why this book is far different than all the books we've read, right? Because you know we read Jocko or we read David Goggins. Tim Ferriss, we read all those books, and that's one person's experience, right? And and the hard part with me is as much as Goggins is a beast and he's incredible, he's not inspirational to me. Because I I can't be a Goggins. Like I I don't I I'll never run to a place where like I want to see my feet bleed and I want to be in pain. Like that's not that's not me, right? 
Jocko, super disciplined guy, Navy SEAL, top tier, like everything. But to me, that seems out of reach, right? Not saying the principles in there weren't great. They're good. I mean, it changed my life. But this is different because this puts everybody on the same playing field. This says, this doesn't say, hey, you have to be, Angela Duckworth isn't saying, this is what I did. This is who I am. This is who you should be. This is said Angela Duckworth saying, this is all the data. And this is what the data says about all of us and what we're capable of doing. And so it reminds me of, I remember when I was school administrator, I was pretty, I was a little elitist in my early years. Like I was very big about, you know, you have to go to college to make it, you know, you have to get good grades. I still think that's all important. But I, there was this one student who I had probably my a second year of teaching and he didn't care about he didn't care about his studies. I mean, he's a really nice guy, really great kid. Actually, he bought me a car. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Had a 15-year-old kid buy me a car. Anyways, this is why he was able to buy me a car. So he wasn't passionate about his studies, but he was passionate about bulldozers and he was passionate about construction and he was passionate about, you know, working outside. And that's what he cared about. So he would work after hours and he would make more money than I did as a teacher doing work for other individuals. And that's why he was able to buy me a car. But he had the passion and perseverance that made him successful. Right. So schooling is, is kind of, you know, our high school diploma system is pretty much, I would say, the gateway. Right. You, you have to have a diploma to do to make it, I guess, to do more. But you actually you actually don't like we, we know in our re- own reselling community that there are plenty of people that are uber successful that didn't even finish high school or they finished high school and they got to college and they dropped out of college and they found that they could make more money being, you know, outside of college, being an entrepreneur. And it's not just about money. They found that they could have more time freedom. They could spend more time with their family without going along with societies. Basically, this, you know, this whole, I think it was the 80s and 90s was very big about, you know, you must go to college. And they bucked against that and they moved forward. And so Grit talks about all this because as I was, you know, becoming, I guess, a more mature administrator, I was only an administrator for five years, but by my fourth and fifth year and after 15 years of teaching, I ended up to the conclusion that not everything that, you know, we learned in education was necessarily true, which, which kind of, it bothered me a little bit because as I became more of a reseller, moving from part-time to full-time, I really engaged with some brilliant people. Now I say brilliant, but I'm careful when I say brilliant. What I mean by brilliant is people that understood the hard work it took to make things happen. And so therefore, they're able to be successful resellers, successful business owners. And they didn't have to get straight A's. They didn't have to get, you know, honors role, principles role, whatever you call it. What they had to do is make sure that their passion and their perseverance was enough to give them that grit to make things happen. And that's what this book is about. And that's why I think this is applicable to so many things in life. It's going to be directly applicable to reselling. It's going to be applicable to your marriage. It's going to be applicable to even the way you raise kids if you have kids. But for today, we're just going to deal with the first part. Yeah. Sorry. It's a powerful book. It's probably one of the top five impactful books of my life. Yeah, very good. And and in fact, one of the reasons I I think this is so great is so much of what she talks about. And I know you don't like the word and you would uh, separate the word. uh, But I think think, uh, a big part of the grit is is discipline, right? And she's not though. 
Um, and she combines um, passion and perseverance. And I would say the perseverance portion, and, and we'll get to that as we get to the later parts of part one. Uh, but the perseverance is kind of the discipline to, to to stay singly focused at something, to not be to be willing to not give up, and to keep going even when it's hard and difficult, uh, and to keep at something. So she starts out by looking at uh, West Point, and the students that go to West Point. It's a very rigorous program. It's she explains much more difficult in a lot of ways even to get into than Harvard because not only do you have to be an exceptionally um, academic student, but you have to also have high physical uh, abilities and talents. You also have to have um, the uh, recommendations of like a senator, a congressman, or somebody in, in government to kind of help get you into that position. Uh, and so they West Point developed a program or a system to kind of. Um, categorize and evaluate students before they'd get in. They'd get kind of a whole student evaluation. So and in case you don't know real quick, West Point is a military academy. Yeah. So it's, it's the it, top tier in the country. It's the army academy. Yes, so each, each branch has its own. Uh, and so the West Point is the army's academy and uh, students go into it and they come out and they're the top leaders typically in the army. And so the, the students would get a score based off of, uh, it's like an, an aptitude score based off of a lot of things their ability to be athletic, their uh, ability to lead, leadership was part of it, their academics was part of it, handling stress, all these things would kind of get combined into a number and they would use that to try and determine who would be the best applicants. But what they realized is during uh, kind of almost like a hell week type thing during a first month over the summer, the students would go into, it was called the beast training or the beast. Beast barracks. Um, and during that time, significant number of students would drop out. And what they found is, Oftentimes, there wasn't a good correlation between an, a, a cadet's total number, like what their what their expected student ability level was, and the dropout rate. Sometimes the students with the highest would drop out, and sometimes the students with the lowest would make it through, and they couldn't quite figure out why it was. And so Angela Duckworth begins this study process to figure out what it is that that separates those who are actually able to make it through. Because they were would be surprised, like, I can't believe this student or this person dropped out of the program. They were one of our bright stars. They've always succeeded. In fact, they were doing well in the program and they still dropped out. And one of the big things that they realized is that the students were dropping out because they um, were being asked to do things that they weren't excelling at. They were forced to do things that was causing them to fail. They had to grow. And not every student was willing to do that. These students were people who had been so successful in life that they never really faced that kind of adversity, not being at the top, not having things come easily. And so she de determines and kind of comes up with this idea of a grit score and how to determine if they would stick with it. Um, and so one of the things she says is rising to the occasion had almost nothing to do with talent. Those who dropped out of tra training rarely did so from lack of ability. Rather, what mattered, Mike said, was a never give up attitude. So she's um, kind of interviewing some people. And she, uh, later on goes on to say, but the story of success didn't end there. Many of the people I talked to could also recount tales of rising stars who, to everyone's surprise, dropped out or lost interest before they could realize their potential. Right. So it's that never give up attitude. It's that stick to itness, or what she ends up calling grit. Uh, and I would use the term, and I think when Jocko Willink uses the term discipline, this is what he's talking to the never give up, the stick to itness, the, the grit is that discipline. That's why I would, would say, yeah. And we'll talk about it, but I, in the later chapter, she mentioned that first is passion. So if there's no passion, it's not going to happen. Like you need to have the passion, then discipline kicks in. But the discipline is because you're willing to concede to that discipline because you know, it's what's necessary to achieve your goal. Right. So I think we're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm very big on if, if I'm not passionate about something, it's not going to happen. 
right? I could be as disciplined as I want, but we'll talk about this later. But I, I, I thought this was phenomenal because when I read this book, you know, you opened the, most of you, maybe when you look at this book, you're like, oh, here's Mike and Orlando pushing another education book or something. But this is looking at West Point graduates. And later on in the book, she's going to look at movie stars, tennis players, Olympians, uh, entrepreneurs, all kinds of different individuals. And it's going to be the same idea. Right. So don't, you know, cast off this book and say this isn't applicable to me. This is for everyone. And so what I loved is, you know, she starts off on page eight and says it was a combination of passion and perseverance that made high achievers special. This is what separated those that stayed in the program and those that left the program. In a word, she says they had grit. So she comes to the conclusion that looking at all these individuals and finds that it didn't matter how talented people were. What mattered was the amount of grit, the passion, and perseverance. And that, that says a lot. I mean, that speaks volumes because I, Mike, do you know a lot of people that are talented? How many times have you heard somebody say, hey, I had the ability to go play in the major leagues or I had the ability to, you know, have this multimillion dollar business and like they have none of that. Yeah. And I, I noticed that a lot, like, um, again, looking at like high school athletes, I wasn't I, I only coached like uh, some parts of track and field, mostly the field portion. And so I didn't have like a huge connection with the athletes, but I knew the students. They were in my class. And you could see some kids who had that talent. They had the natural born. They had the genetics. They were, they were a couple of kids are almost like, like genetic freaks. They just have just insane ability to do well at something. And a lot of them didn't have that, uh, that grit. They didn't have, they didn't care what they ate. They didn't train as hard. And then you see another kid who didn't have as much natural talent, but they, they were very careful about what they ate. They practiced twice as hard. They did all those things and oftentimes ended up the same place or further along than the kids with that, that freakish natural talent. And so it's a rare person that actually is willing to take the talents that they do have and add discipline. Cause yeah, there are a lot of people who are talented, but if they don't, if they don't put any kind of drive or any kind of dedication to that talent, uh, they're not going to do well. And it, the Olympians are those who are able to combine some form of genetic natural talent. There has to be a little bit there. And again, she goes on to say, it's like, it, it's, it's a small portion. It is important that the nature part is important. Well, if you want to play basketball, you have to be tall. You got to be like, tall. Unless right? you're Muggsy Bogues or yeah. Spud Webb. But for the most part, genetics yeah, play the part. Genetics plays a part. And even, even she explains like swimmers, like one guy who had a lot of dedication and talent, but the way his, his ankle didn't bend enough to point his toes a certain way. Right. And, and when you're talking about like, hundreds of a millionth of a second difference on, on, on making a team and not those things make a difference. But, um, again, for the average person, uh, it's, it's not going to be talent that, that holds you back or a lack of talent, but it's that drive. Cause again, yeah, tons of people have that talent, but because they lack the drive, they're way less successful than people who have a little bit of drive and even less talent. I mean, I, I, myself, I mean, we all had people tell us you're so talented, you could do this. And I never, I never moved forward on it, right? I didn't have the grit at that point in time. And you know, I thought this was interesting here. And I don't know, some of you will relate, but she later applies. So she looks at West Point and she studies all the West Point graduates year after year after year. And it's consistently those that had grit and those that didn't have grit is why people drop out. It didn't matter their academics or, you know, their ranking in high school or, or any of that. But I thought this was interesting. She also looked at colleges and, you know, what determines if somebody's going to finish college, right? Because this is why those of you that don't know, the reason that colleges very much look if you add or drop classes in high school or what your grades are is because they want to see you complete a program. 
So they don't want to provide money to a student or a scholarship if they don't think that individual is going to finish the program. Like they don't want to waste money and say, hey, we're going to give the student $10,000, but we don't know if they can finish the program. No, they're going to give it to people that have the grit, I would say, for the most part, to be able to get it done. But it was interesting here with community college. I thought this was interesting because this is all going to apply. Trust me on this one. So what are your thoughts when, when, when students tell you they're going to go into community college? What was your thoughts when you're, when you're teaching high school? I thought it was great. You thought it was great. Yep. Okay. But what was your sense generally whether they were going to finish community college or not? I mean, it, it depended on the student. Okay. I mean. Okay. All right. For the most part, my sense was maybe I was just super judgmental. It was like, they're going to be doing it for 10 years. Because my experience was a lot of kids that ended up going to community college just weren't community college like indefinitely. Like it didn't change. But this is this is what Angela Duckworth is talking about here. She says, interestingly, adults who'd successfully earned degrees from two-year colleges scored slightly higher than graduation of four-year colleges. This puzzled me at first, but I soon learned that the dropout rates at community colleges can be as high as 80%. Those who defy the odds are especially gritty. Right? So encouragement. Those of you that didn't finish your four-year, but you finished your two-year, you're grittier than those other individuals, meaning that you actually stuck to the program. And I can tell you right now, I know hundreds of students that went to community college and that's all they did. Like they never finished their two-year, right? But it, it's grit that makes that difference. And so she ends that chapter. I like this because we look at, we look at people all the time. And we say there's so much potential, right? There's so much potential. Even in the reselling community, right? We see new resellers come up. We're like, wow, look, like I wish I was where they're at in my 20s. I say that all the time. I, I'm looking at some of, uh, some of the youngsters, I guess, in their 20s. In the reselling community, I'm like, wow, if only I had that kind of determination or at least the ability there's, you know, I think in reselling, there are some people that are just able to see things differently. Like they walk into a room wherever and they're able to see value in things, right? Instead of just pulling out their phones. So Angela Duckworth in chapter one says our potential is one thing. What we do with it is quite another, right? And that's so important because I think all of us have so much potential, but what are we doing with that potential? So let's talk about talent then. All right, real quick before we move on there. Okay. So um, one thing that kind of stood out, again, going back to um, the the West Point um, analogies and what was happening there. Um, she goes on to say, each was chasing something, talking about those who are successful, each was chasing something unparalleled interest and importance. And it was the chase as much as the capture that was gratifying. Oh, yes. Even if some okay. things they had to do were boring or frustrating or even painful, they wouldn't dream of giving up. And uh, this reminded me of a Jocko Willink quote where he was talking about somebody asked in a question and said, like, uh, you know, aren't you or do you ever feel like Sisyphus? Right. And Sisyphus is, is a Greek allusion to um, I believe he's a god who was forced to, like, push a rock up a hill. And then as soon as he would get to the hill, this heavy boulder, then it would roll back down and he'd have to start over. And it's this endless cycle of meaningless uh, task and duty. And he says, yeah, like he when he's on the squat rack, he says, yeah, I feel like Sisyphus that it, it's, you know, there's never a win. Like there's never a, I've made it to the end. I'm done. I don't have to do anymore. He goes, but it is the pushing the rock that is the challenge. Like that's the, that's the quest. That's what he enjoys. And he says, and if I ever got that rock to the top and it stayed, I'd push it back down myself because it's the pushing the rock that drives me more than it is. Like I need to get to this end result. It's the action. It's the going through. And so sometimes, you know, when you're hustling, when you're going through your, your business and you can feel like Sisyphus where it's just, I'm just doing this task over and over and over again. And I'm packing another package and I'm sending it out and I'm sourcing more things. You don't ever feel like, Hey, I've made it to the end. 
But if you can be the kind of person that's like, even like it says here, when things are boring, frustrating, or painful, you still wouldn't dream of giving up because it's doing that thing that is is part of, it's the chase as much as it is actually attaining the item or attaining the goal that's important to you. If that's you, you've got grit. But see, I think that's what separates resellers. That's why there's such a turnover of resellers. That's why, you know, we get new listeners all the time. And we also have a lot of people that are like, I can't resell anymore. And I think that's okay. I think if if it's not the passion that is keeping you enduring and making it happen, then it's all right to pivot. It's already changed, right? Because you have to love the process. I mean, Gary Vee speaks on this all the time about the fact that, you know, his ultimate goal is to own the New York Jets. But he says, I would be unsatisfied if I ended up making that goal. <laughs> He's all about, I love the process. I love going through it. And the same thing with reselling. Like, I love reselling. This is why I have no problem doing the social media. Yeah, I've been kind of busy lately because I've been working and, and hustling. But I don't mind. I don't mind posting. I don't like, I, I don't mind being in the trenches reselling because I love what I do. Right. It's, it's, I'm passionate about it. I mean, like you even said it on the podcast, like, you really like reselling. And it's true. I do really like reselling and there's a lot of reasons I do, but it keeps me motivated. Like I, I'm not tired. I'm not done. I, I rarely ever feel burnout, but that's because there's a passion there. So I think that's great. I don't even know how I passed that over. I'm, you know, we have some of the same stuff highlighted in our book. Yeah, for sure. And so the second, <laughs> the second chapter she goes into, she quits a good job. She's, she's a, a high up in this job, making a lot of money. She ends up leaving this job to become a teacher and um, she's a math teacher at first at a, a very uh, low income and, and school with a lot of troubled students uh, before she moves to a school that's uh, higher in school. And in both schools, she notices something. She notices that at the beginning of the year teaching math, there's kids who are clearly talented, students who have the ability to, they see the problem solved one time and it's like, they've got it, they understand, they can do it. And kids who are struggling and they don't get it, but at the end of the year, the students who had the highest grades weren't always the ones who understood the material easily. A lot of times, the students who ended up getting the A's or the higher scores at the end of the year were the students with less natural talent, but were willing to study longer and harder, and they were willing to continue to, to push forward. She even gives a, a specific example of one student, one math student she had, who didn't make the cut into the advanced math track, and he was put into the lower math track. And he was not the brightest student in the room, but he stayed after every day to ask for extra problems. He worked harder. He studied for hours. And eventually the teacher realized this is a kid who deserves to be in the advanced math class. So she went to the admin, admin allowed it to happen. And the first several months in the advanced math class, and even that first year, he wasn't earning all A's. He was earning lots of C's and B's. He ended up with a B in the class. But by the end of his senior year, he was one of the highest students in the highest um, math class there was. And he goes on to end up being um, literally a rocket scientist. He ends up becoming an engineer and he does all these things. And a big part of it was he she recognized at a young age, he was not naturally talented. He didn't just see the problem one time and have it, but he was willing to put in an extra half hour, an extra hour, practicing on his homework, going through it, asking for help when he didn't understand. And students who were who were potentially twice as smart as he was and things came a lot easier, um, didn't achieve half of what he achieved. And so there's kind of that encouragement there that in your career, in the field that you're in, there are going to be people who things come easy. But here's the problem. And she even talks about this at one point. I've got it highlighted somewhere. But um, oftentimes the students who things come really easy for them 
they never actually end up learning hard work and discipline. They never actually end up learning what it takes to stay up and study and read something twice and spend extra time on it because it came easily. So when things start to get hard, they don't have that skill set. Whereas people who are willing to struggle and go through things, I think David Goggins is a great example. He would talk about the fact that when he would study something, he would literally have to write down every word from the book, handwrite it and go through that several times in order to pass like with a C on a test that he needed in order to advance the next part in, in into his career. But you could see that that kind of dedication determination took him so much further than a kid who is potentially or a person who potentially has twice the IQ that he has, but no desire to push themselves and go further in life. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey, everyone. Ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code, all in caps, PureHustle25. That's the numbers, 25. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to Sellhound.com and subscribe using our promo code, Pure Hustle 25. I, I think I thought it was interesting too her discussion about our biases that we have that we don't even notice. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think one of the reasons that I and I talk about this when, when I used to teach history that sometimes we we call people monsters because it, it makes it easier for us to understand things. Right. Why would somebody be so evil? Why would somebody do something instead of just saying, no, you know, humans are, you know, bent towards doing terrible things. Right. And so the same thing applies here is that we naturally are willing to point out who we think is a natural entrepreneur, which I thought this was interesting because it happens all the time. I mean, you know, and I'm not throwing shade anywhere. I'm not even going to mention names, but so often in the reselling community where we see people that, you know, (laughs) <laughs> they look good. They see the right things. And we automatically assume they're a natural entrepreneur and we think they're more successful. But yet there's the people that are behind the scenes that right there. They're not very social media minded. They're not, you know, things aren't as smooth. It's not as, you know, gripping. But we make assumptions right off the bat and we're like, we automatically we end up following those individuals that we think have it all together. But that's a part of our inherent bias. And she talks about that here. She talks about how there are two entrepreneurs. She calls one the natural and the striver entrepreneur. And that they they both were, you know, given the same thing to discuss before the research subjects. And then, you know, they end up with the conclusion that most people sided with the natural one, the one that had the charisma, the one that was able to, you know, demonstrate what they knew. But then said, she says, in fact, the point of indifference between a striver Right, the, the person with the great and a natural was only reached from the striver had four more years of leadership experience and forty thousand dollars more in startup capital. She then says, "What we say we care about may not correspond with what deep down we actually believe to be more valuable. It's a little like we like we don't care at all about physical attractiveness in a romantic partner, and then when it comes to actually choosing whom to date, picking the cute guy over the nice one, right? Which I, I think it's true, right? We we all." have our, we, we try to say the right things, right? But in the end, we have these biases. And I think we, we need to be careful 
and that we don't get caught in that trap and just seeing, hey, just because a person's talented, that's the individual we need to follow. That's the person we need to listen or, you know, model because that may not be the individual. Yeah. And she's talking too about like people who hire for jobs. Like most people will say if they're looking for a candidate to fill the position, that hard work is like the top of their list. That they put a hard working employee oh, yeah, is, one, is really of the, one, of the, one of the top of their list. However, when it came to actually hiring the people and looking at their resumes and looking at what's going on, they would, even though they would say hard work was their desire, they would gravitate towards the person who was smarter, had the better grades, had the this, had the that, as opposed to the person who was the striver, right? They looked for the natural and they'd hire them and then the turnover rate was higher. The pe- they couldn't get people to stick. And they, she even talked about Enron with creating this, this uh, environment where you had to be the best. They were looking for the the the, the best like natural talent, the best uh, intelligence. And it created a place where she said actually encouraged uh, lack of integrity, encouraged people to kind of do shady things because instead of keeping people who are hardworking and willing to, to, you know, take the time to get to where it needed to be, they would pick the person who was supposed to have it all put together. And so that everyone had to, to seem like they were always put together and perfect. And just think about that. Maybe if you're even, you know, going to hire an employee, or as um, Orlando would say, and, and most of you, and helper. So if you're going to hire a helper, you're probably, you know, if you had a chance, there's one person who's naturally talented on the computer. They take good pictures. They uh, can s- sort stuff. You might be like, this is the person I want. Another person, you've got to explain something to them a couple of times. You're like, okay, I'm not going to hire this person. But if you're looking for the best employee, you should be looking for the one who's going to be the hardest worker. Because maybe it's the talented one, but maybe it's the person you got to explain something to a couple of times but they're going to be willing to take the pictures until they're right, to make the listing until it's perfect, to actually get your organization right, to not mess up when they're packing something. And maybe they don't have that natural talent. They don't shine as the like, this is this person seems like they have it all together, but the person who shines might actually be the worst employee you hire because they feel like they're perfectionist, but they don't actually take any risks. They don't try really hard and they, they, they end up not being what you're looking for. So, um, Think about that. Who would you rather hire? Would you rather hire the person who is the hardest working person in the room or the person who seems to have the most natural talent but doesn't actually apply themselves? And then that goes to yourself. Which person would you rather be? And so I have you know, had this kind of feeling and, and it depends on the type of job because I don't always feel like I need to be the hardest working person in the room. But a lot of times I, I take that mentality of like, I want to be the hardest working person here. I want to be able to outwork people because I know... I'm not as smart as everybody in the room. I know I'm not as talented. And she ends up giving a Will Smith quote at some point. I don't know if it's in this chapter or not. Uh, and I think it's great about um, being, um, I might've skipped the chapter, but uh, she gives a, oh, here it is. Right here, page 46. 46, yeah. So um, it goes on to say, uh, Will Smith starts by saying, I never really viewed myself as particularly talented. He once observed where I excel is ridiculous, sickening work ethic. And then later on, this is a quote. I've mentioned it before in the podcast and during a quote of the week. Uh, but here's the entirety of it. It says, the only thing that I see that is diff- uh, distinctly different about me is I'm not afraid to die on a treadmill. I will not be outworked, period. You might have more talent than me. You might be smarter than me. You might be sexier than me. You might be all of those things. You got on me on nine categories. But if we get on the treadmill together, these uh, there's two things. You're getting off first or I'm going to die. It's really that simple, right? And so just that mentality of which which person would you rather hire, right? Which person would you rather be? Would you rather be the person that just has some natural talent or the one that's going to keep going until you get that success? 
So let's talk about treadmills real quick. <laughs> so there's a part in that chapter where they did this treadmill test. Mm. And basically the individuals that were unwilling in their 20s who were unwilling to give up, like they, they set a certain incline and they had to be on a certain amount of time. And it was a strong predictor of how individuals would adjust to adulthood. I thought that was what? Like, is that true? I had a, yeah, and and that was like the long. I think it's the longest study. Yes, like it's gone on for like sixty or seventy yes. years or something. So depending, you know, how they were able to adjust, they're able to keep going. Is how they would deal with, you know, difficult circumstances. I thought that that is fascinating. And then she takes it next level. She goes, actually, would have been more interesting to see who would show up the next day, and that would show us the grit. Yeah, if you offered that as all right. So it was who would stay on it the longest and it was like an uphill yeah. at really, really fast. So, I mean, you're talking about seconds to like a couple of minutes, like four minutes, like the longest somebody was on it. And she goes, but yeah, if you were to offer, you can come back tomorrow if you want to retry it. And yeah, those who would come back and try it again or ask for, do you have any suggestions for me? What about those people are probably the ones with the grit, right? And that kind of goes back to that idea. And we've talked about it in previous books of being willing to fail right? Being willing to ask questions and and grow. And one of the problems with people who are naturally talented, and she talked about with that, with the Enron thing, is the inability to fail or to look like you don't know what you're doing. And so because of that, you don't take the risks. You don't do the things that are are best for you. You don't take challenges on because you don't want to be a failure. Whereas the person with grit is willing to fail and fail and fail and fail and keep going until they get it figured out. It's funny how you talk about Enron. So it, it displays our age gap because Enron was a big deal. Like in the two, early 2000s, they collapsed. It was a fraud. And actually their stuff, if you find their stuff, it's worth money on eBay. I believe it. So anyways, now I do like this chapter because I like how it talks about how effort counts twice more than talent. Right. And that was super encouraging. It's, you know, and think about reselling. Like you may, and I can talk about myself. I don't believe... I am talented at reselling. I just think I put in a ton of work and I figured things out and I'm able to be full time as a reseller, but it wasn't anything natural. It took hours of watching YouTube, seeing what others do, failing a ton and not giving up even till now. I mean, I've told Mike, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to go at this and I, you know, who knows how long, but I'm going to go at this really, really all in for five years. Right. That that that's not the end goal. That's not what I'm going to end reselling, but I want to see what I can do in five years. Right. And there's been, you know, a couple months that set me back because I made some poor choices financially. You know, I, I should probably talk about those more on the podcast, but I have done things that were I should have been farther ahead, but I wasn't because I didn't play things right. But I love the the little chart that she has on, on page 42. It's not a chart, the drawing, you know, talent plus effort equals skill or time. Is that, it's, it is a time sign, but it's plus, right? Well, it's times. Okay. So talent times effort equals skill, right? So you can have talent and if you work at that talent, you refine your skill, but where it counts is the effort that you put in. Cause then you have your achievement, right? And I think that hundred percent applies to reselling, right? You may have the talent to resell, but it all matters about your effort. Cause the more you resell, the better skills you have, the more sourcing ability, the the ability to list things, to sell things quicker, to make deals, to negotiate, like those skills continue to improve. But if you combine those skills with more effort, you compound it, then you get greater achievement, then you get greater returns, then you're making more money, then you're actually building something. 
And so she, she ends that part at the very same time, effort makes skill productive. And that's what you want. You want to be productive. Right. And so I, I like this though, um, where I mentioned about this individual that ended up being a potter, like a master potter or something like that. And how he had tried different things, right? It says, you know, when you're young, you think you can do anything. And we thought, oh, we'll be potters. We'll be painters. We'll be textile designers. We'll be jewelers. We'll be a little of this, a little of that. We're going to be Renaissance people. It soon, be, soon became clear that doing one thing better and better might be more satisfying than staying an amateur and many different things. We feel, And the reason that they're able to keep doing what they're doing is that they said, we felt our true interest lay. And so I, I share this because... If right now you're a young entrepreneur and you're trying to do 10 million things, maybe it's good to just focus on a few, right? If you're a reseller, you're trying to sell everything. Maybe it's better to focus on a few. Maybe, you know, if you're just, you're, you're trying different businesses and you're not being successful in, in any of the business, you're being mediocre or being, a, you know, a master of none. Maybe it's good to focus on what you enjoy, right? This is where I think, you know, this is where you and I cross a little bit, but I think passion is important because if you don't have that passion, that discipline, no matter how disciplined you are, you will burn out eventually. And you, it, you just say, I'm done. I'm done. And I know, so I, I can tell you this in education it happens all the time. People thought they wanted to be teachers and by year one, they're done. Why? Because no matter how disciplined they were about doing everything, the passion wasn't there and they walked away. So I'll stop talking after when it says with effort, she says, Mackenzie has gotten better and better at making the most exciting things I can make that will fit in people's homes. So this is talking about somebody else that had changed professions at the same time when the same invest invested effort, you have become more accomplished. So the more you do something, the more you focus, the more accomplished you can be at something. Yeah. She definitely uh, encourages in, in this section, uh, the idea of focusing in on, on one, one skill or one trait, uh, or if, uh, or one or two things as opposed to multiple things. And uh, I think that's really important. In fact, at one point it says, and this is slightly off topic, but she says, a superlative performance is really a confluence of dozens of small skills or activities, each one learned or stumbled upon, which have been carefully drilled into habit and then are fitted together into a synthesized whole. There's nothing extraordinary or superhuman in any one of those actions, only the fact that they are done consistently and correctly and all together produce excellence. So, the one thing you're doing is actually oftentimes made up of multiple things, right? So it's reselling, right? If that's your job, if that's what you want, then reselling is made up of many different skills. The ability to take pictures, the ability to source, the ability to have customer service, the ability to make connections, the ability, like all of these little talents and each one of those are made up of little things. And so in each of those, you have to fine tune and, and develop into the place where you actually have perfected a system. Now, like Orlando was saying, if you try to do a lot of things, you're going to really struggle. And so you really want to perfect and hone in on, on one area of your craft. And I recently heard a uh, strategy, which I thought was pretty successful. It was a like a three split. And it's put 70% of your attention and effort into one endeavor. Uh, so like your primary and, and specifically, this is these endeavors that the three endeavors are speaking about like economics. So like your ways of making money. So 70% of your time, energy, dedication should all go into one of these. 20% into another and 10% into a third. Because as you're doing that, you might realize that, hey, this area where I'm putting you know, only 10% of my energy is creating significantly more money for me than the 70% I'm putting somewhere else, but it should all aim towards one thing. So 
If you're reselling, right, maybe you find those different things. So 70% of your time and energy is on one platform, is on one type of niche, uh, but then 20% of your energy and time and effort is going onto another platform and trying something else and 10% in, into another. And as you do that, you're honing your skills, which are going to help in all of them, all of those little minor things that kind of all work together. And you can find the area which is going to best help you succeed and have success. All right. So I like this next chapter. Uh, what she says here, uh, she starts talking about how gritty are you? And we'll talk about her. Did you take the test? No. Oh, you didn't take the test? Nah. Okay. I took the test. I'll, sh I'll share my results. But before I do that, uh, she had mentioned here uh, about the fact that stamina is more important than intensity. Right. And then later, I thought this, this quote was great. And this applies, I think, to whatever you do, whether it's reselling, teaching, being a father, being a husband, being a wife, being a mother, whatever it is, says, right, it is doing what you love, but not just falling in love, staying in love. And I think that's so important because, you know, falling in love, falling in, that happens all the time. But when you are consistently able to say, hey, I'm choosing this, I'm choosing to make this what I want to do, it's a lot easier. When you're just looking for, you know, even reselling, when you're constantly looking for the home runs and only the home runs are going to motivate you, you're going to have a hard time because I would say probably 80% of my business is not home runs, right? The home runs are nice, but it's not what keeps me afloat, right? All right. Before we get into the test, though, maybe Mike can take it while I, while I do our spiel here real quick. It's not that hard. No, I don't want to take it. Why don't you want to take it? Because I, I, I spend too long on tests like this because I this overthink is easy. everything. No. Five minutes. No, just go for it. All right. Hey, by the way, our sponsor, how's Skull Shaver working for you? I just used it again today. I've been, it's been like I'm doing it every other day, which is nice. So I used to just use a, a regular like trimmers and I'd get it pretty close. And I think I went one time this week, like three days without shaving. My wife was like, when was the last time you used the Skull Shaver? And I was like, oh, I think it was like three days ago. She's like, your hair is where it is normally when you shave your head. And I'm like, this is such a win for me because I would shave my head like once a week. And by the end of the week, it would just be like so grown out and terrible. And so then I take the clippers to it again. Uh, the skull shaver is so much faster. I don't leave hair all over the bathroom, which I'm going to let me just say, I do what I do with everything. Our ads are so organic. With the intent of, of, of making my wife, like if I can please my wife, that's that's a win for me. Right. And so Skull Shaver is making my bathroom cleaner. It's getting my head closer shave. I, I can do it quicker. It has been a win, 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 win all the way around. Uh, so if you're like me and you don't want to have a messy bathroom because it upsets your wife and you want to shave your head, Skull Shaver for the win. It's quick. It's fast. And it, I haven't had any nicks. You had any nicks? No, no. That's the beauty of it. I, I, I used it right before the podcast. So if you want to look smooth, hey, make sure you use our promo code. At SkullShiver.com, promo code PURE, P-U-R-E, like Pure as a podcast. Again, promo code PURE. And Christmas you, time. Get it, that gift. There you go. And if you haven't been following us on social media, we are Pure as a podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And I'm trying to get more into TikTok again. It's 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 kind of hard. It's a little different out there, but there, there are so many resellers now jumping into the TikTok space. Also, we are Pure as a podcast on Twitter. On YouTube, we are Pure as a podcast. If you're watching the podcast, no, you're watching. If you're listening to the podcast, but you want to see what these bald heads are about, go over to YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that notification. And again, thank you to all of you who have continued to uh, contact us via email. We are Pure as a podcast at gmail.com. And also call us at 619-738-1170. And again, Thank you for all the reviews on iTunes. Really helpful. And also, those of you that have signed up for that membership, $5 a month at buymeacoffee.com slash beerhustle. 
That is buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle. Yeah. I'm thinking we're going to have to start doing uh, like the typical TV thing and, and actually get some powder on our heads before the... Uh, before we what? record because we've got <laughs> lights on us so oh, so if you've ever if you've ever been on like a stage oh, where they're yeah, actually yeah. recording they always powder your face powder really? your, yeah they use powder so you don't get that sweat and like glean and shine and it kind of dulls and it looks better on the camera and skull shaver is so good that we might have to start using a little bit of powder we might actually have to have makeup we might be hiring a makeup person so uh head and head and uh yep, makeup that's where you're buying me a coffee's going that's to, right to that makeup person <laughs> <laughs> all right so i recommend all of you take this test so it's on, it's on page 55. I think it's it's super easy. It's only 10 questions and you do your score because later on the book, she gives some practical ways to make yourself grittier, right? Because the whole goal is if your grit is strong, you're going to be able to be successful. You're going to be able to make things happen. And so I took this and yeah, I ended up, <laughs> I ended up pretty gritty. Like the top is five. I ended up at a 4.8. Uh, but, you know, some of the questions here are new ideas and projects sometimes distract me from previous ones. Like, I don't get distracted at all. Um, I, I do on the podcast, though. I often set a goal, but later choose to pursue a different one. Not really. I have difficulty maintaining my focus on projects that take more than a few months to complete. No, I just I keep going. My interests change from year to year. No, I'm pretty boring. Uh, I've been obsessed with a certain idea or project for a short time, but later lost interest. Like, that rarely happens. So... This is good because if if you're somebody that's always like, you know, squirrel, right? Kind of like, you know, in that movie Up, th there's some tips she gives later on about how to make sure you stay focused, right? How to keep that grit so you keep motivated and you keep that passion and perseverance to be successful. Because she mentions later on on page 58, she says, you can be enthusiastic, right? Enthusiasm is common, but she says endurance is rare and it's endurance that'll get you to the next level. Yeah. So that's where it's like the enthusiasm because she says it's passion and perseverance. Um, and so, and both are, are important. And that's where I would say like the passion and enthusiasm is like the passion and the discipline and perseverance is the other category. And so those two things married together uh, is going to be what gets you to success. Now, discipline equals freedom. <laughs> See, you had to add. All right. So let's talk about here. He had mentioned about, you know, how gritty are you? But then there, there are certain things that have to fall in line in order for you to be gritty, in order for you to make things happen. Right. And I think this is where we have this discussion about discipline and passion. Because on page 64, right, she had mentioned about, you know, if you really want to do something, right, if you really, it, it's something you care about. She says, what I mean by passion it's not just that you have something you care about. What I mean is that you care about that same ultimate goal in an abiding, loyal, steady way. You are not capricious. Each day, you wake up thinking of the questions you fell asleep thinking about. You are, in a sense, pointing in the same direction, ever eager to take even the smallest forward step than to take a step to the side towards some other destination. At the extreme, one might call your focus obsessive. Most of your actions derive your significance from their allegiance to your ultimate concern, your life philosophy. You have priorities in order. Grit is about holding the same top level goal for a very long time. And I think in reselling, this is 100% true, right? If you jump into reselling and you're like, hey, in a month, I'm going to be at this place. And if I'm not, I'm done. Then you're not going to be reselling. It's just not, not going to happen, right? Even six months. I would say, if, especially if you're in the secondary game of eBay, it's going to be years, I think, to really, really, I, at least a year, 
to if you want to go full time. Right. Amazon, you can kind of expedite that a little bit. Right. But there's a lot more risk. Right. But I think with with anything, if it's not something that you're passionate about, you're just not going to you're just not going to do it. Like when I was in education, I still love education. But I remember when I was in education, like that's all I thought about. I went to sleep thinking about how can I make my lesson better tomorrow? I woke up in the morning and thought, you know what? I thought about this last night. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to change this. Then at lunch, I would say, you know what? I don't like how the first three class periods went. I'm going to make it a little bit different for these other two classes. And then the next next day, I would say, you know what? Let me reflect on what I did the day before so I can make sure it's better next year, right? Ultimate long-term goal, right? In, in mind. And it's the same thing with whatever you do. That is a demonstration on the practical level of grit. Do you have more to add to that one? Uh, no, I mean, uh, she talks about having those multiple different goals because she she says one of the hard parts is there's going to be um, there needs to be a goal hierarchy, right? So you're going to have your your main primary passionate goal. And then underneath that, there's going to be like sub goals and then like kind of daily goals, right? So uh, specifically, I'm going to get up at 8 a.m. Well, that's usually like the, the daily kind of lowest level goal. Well, why? So I can get to work on time. Uh, well, why is that important? So that I can be a, a good leader at my company. Well, why is that important? So that, and you, you give your whys until you get to a point where it's just like, because like, it's just, that's, that's, that's like the main goal, right? And there's going to be little things you do to actually get there. Uh, and she gives an example of Warren Buffett talking to uh, his personal pilot. And he asked his pilot, like, you've got to have other aspirations and just simply flying me from place to place, right? And the pilot said, yeah. And he goes, okay, wait, list down 20 or 25 things that are your priorities and goals. And he says, okay, right. I'll, I'll write down the 25 things. And then Warren Buffett says, okay, now circle the five that are most important to you and avoid the other 20 at all cost." Right. And she kind of pushes back against this a, a little bit in some ways because she says, well, some of those 20 in reality are going to be things that are actually kind of aimed towards those primary goals. But I love that that idea of what are the 25 things you want to do most in this life? Okay. Now, once you have those, pick the five that are most important to you and treat the rest like they are toxic, right? Because those are the things that are going to distract you from the five you really, really want. Those things are going to keep pulling you away, taking some of your energy, taking some of your time, taking some of your passion, taking some of that discipline, taking all of those things away because those are things you want. But if it doesn't actually point you towards the main goal, one of the things you want more than anything, then you need to avoid it, right? And that's that idea of cutting out good things, right? That can be really hard for people to take things in their life that they enjoy, that they love. But if it's actually fighting against your primary desire and goals, and you're going to have to have a couple because she even says she wanted to be a good mom, but she also wanted to have a successful career. And so she decided to do both. And so she's she said conflict is normal in human life. Like There's going to be conflicts. You're not going to have most people aren't going to be able to just have one goal and that's it. And they basically sacrifice everything else. There are some people who do that. And a lot of times they end up at the top at something, but at the expense of relationships and everything else in their life. Uh, but uh, you, that's why I think five is a good number. Right? Like you can have a few things that you want more than anything and everything else that even you want and desire kind of have to be avoided. Not just that's not my goal, but that is now the enemy. Uh, and if you can take that kind of uh, directive and that kind of mentality and change your paradigm to match that, you're going to be far more successful. And so I, I encourage you all to do that. Write down 25 things that you want. And while you're writing them down, don't just, now that you kind of know the the surprise at the end, don't just be thinking, I'm going to add stuff that I can avoid. But literally write down the, the 25 things, goals and pursuits you have in life, pick the five that are most important, and then abandon the rest if they're not a stepping stone to one of those five. 
I mean, I mean, basically, she discussed the idea that the lower ones can always be replaced, right? In order to get you to the end goal, right? But that there has to be an a tangible end goal, right? And in reselling, there has to be a tangible end goal. And now it could be a number. It could be, you know, you want to move into a warehouse. It could be you want to have a larger property. It could be simple things like you want to just be able to uh, pay for, you know, vacation. Like there has to be something. And then there has to be little goals that lead up to making that goal happen. Now, I do like how she talks about how grit can grow in the next chapter, or is it the same chapter? It's the same chapter. All right. And, and discusses the idea that grit is, is, is plastic. Like it's moldable. You're, you're able, it's not like you're stuck. You take the grit test and this is where you're stuck. Like the, the, you can't make it, you can't get yourself to the next level. And I know I skipped a lot here, but I thought, I thought it was some of the same principles, uh, but I, I like how she broke it down. Right. says, First comes interest. Passion begins with intrinsically enjoying what you do. Every gritty person I've studied can point to aspects of their work they enjoy less than others, and most have to put up with at least one or two chores that they don't enjoy at all. Nevertheless, they're captivated by the endeavor as a whole. With enduring fascination and childlike curiosity, they practically shout out, I love what I do. And I think that, to me, that is everything. If, if there is no interest, if there is no passion, all the pressures in life, all the discipline in life, all the outside circumstances can seem like they're going to push someone or push you to do something. But honestly, as humans, if we don't care, we're not going to care. We're just, I, I just, I truly believe that. And maybe, maybe just cause you know, I've been in a place in life where for so long, right. I've, I've had, I've, you know, I followed suit of what I wanted to do. And then once I became reseller, it's kind of like, ah, I don't know. I think I, I'm going to do what I want now. And it's been really easy for me to, pivot and become a reseller, right? And still say, hey, I really love teaching, but I only want to teach so much, <laughs> right? I only teach once a week, right? So, because well, I, I, I'm not a fan of all the homework and all the all the grading. Oh, teaching is just terrible with all that. Yeah. If we could just show up to class every day and just have conversations about what we're learning, that would be ideal. Yeah. Would it be? Yeah. That's why I want to be a PhD yeah, one day. We have, a, we, have, have TAs. we have a broken education system. That's one of my passions is to... uh to bring bring to light the the brokenness and hopefully provide some ways of fixing it. Um, so the one of the things I really like that she talked about in this section is that nature nurture. And she, yeah, what you think about that? I love that she doesn't hide from the fact that talent is important. That that there is a nature uh, a nature portion of success that can't be that can't just be thrown away. Right? We talked about that in the past with things like you know sports and certain things. And I think that goes for a lot of things. Um, IQ. Um, and, and tests change and, and things change, but there's certain elements that, that are kind of locked in, like your IQ, uh, physical attributes, things like that, certain things. But earlier in the book, she talks about, and she gives an example of most people, 99% of people, um, that you have limits, like, like a tree doesn't just keep growing and never stop growing. It has a limit, but most people never even come close to meeting their potential, right? They don't have the grit to get to their potential in anything. So, so people hear the fact, well, don't tell me I have a limit. I don't have a limit. And it's like, well, you might have a limit, but chances are, even if you reach just incredible success in life, you still haven't reached that limit, right? So your limit is further than you think, but, but there are limits on your life. But one of the things I liked is she was talking about height, right? First, she says, if you look at British people from, uh, you know, century or two ago, most of them were around five foot five. Uh, the men were five foot five. And then over time, uh, now it's, it's closer to like five, 
10, that, that's like kind of where they're at. And she says, well, that's a significant change. Their genes haven't changed that much in just a few in just a few generations, but what has changed as nutrition, right? Like they've had more food available. This food has allowed society to, uh, for people to actually grow to their potential and not be kind of stunted in that. And then she goes on to say the kind of uh, more of what we would kind of look at what's changeable because nobody looks at their height. And, and I mean, some people might want to change it, but uh, that's kind of a more fixed thing. But when it comes to, she gave an example of basketball. So she said, when basketball started making it on TV, it became more popular. People were watching it. As people were watching it, they'd see the more advanced things people were doing, left-handed layups and certain types of dribbles and all of these things. And they wanted to imitate that. So they would take that out onto the field, out on out onto the court and practice their friends. And because all these people are interested in watching and trying to do the best they can be, that forced all the other players playing with them to get better. And so there was this natural increase, the talent level. I mean, if you watch football from like, and some of it's going to be performance enhancing drugs, but but you can't count that for everything, right? Yeah, like, but but it's different. I mean, think about I just think about now, like high schoolers, like the stuff they're able to do now in sports when we were in the high school, it's world apart. Yeah, and, and so much of that is that competition, what she calls the virtuous cycle of improvement, the social multiplier effect, right? And so um, that idea of we've talked in the past, like in, in other books, that the idea of a five minute mile was like unthinkable. And then once somebody did it, now you've got high schoolers doing it. Several high schoolers have done it. And so what was once impossible for an Olympian, once people realize it's possible and more people are achieving and striving for it, and that competition causes other people to raise their level of, of practice and effort. And so there is this social improvement, skill improvement multiplier effect. And so there is an element of, of competition and seeing others improve. So there is elasticity even in um, the what we would call the nature portion of it. But then there's a nurture portion. This is the one you have a little bit more control over. And it's the uh, things you're doing that, and going back to that idea of talent times effort equals skill. So some people might have more talent than you. And if you're both putting in a certain amount of effort, the total skill you get is going to be that number. But then the, the, it goes further and it says skill times effort. So you throw an effort one more time equals your actual success. Okay, so when you look at that thing and you actually add effort in twice, nurture is going to play a, in some ways, a bigger role. Nature doesn't play no role. It does play an important role, but you can change. There is elasticity and add that nurture element to it and have success, even if you're not pre uh, kind of determined to have quote unquote talent or skill in a certain category. But I love, yeah, and I agree. I love how she challenges uh, even the IQ thing. Like even now, there's studies showing that IQ is not stagnant, that IQ is not static, that it does change. Even here, she says, if we were going to go on the basic norms, like studies show that people are far brighter now than they were over 100 years ago. Yeah, I don't. Right? I push back against that a little bit, but I think I think it was a false correlation uh, that she was drawing. No, but there's 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 a lot of science out there saying that the the brain works like a muscle, right? And if you could put certain things in place, like you're not bound by your IQ and I hundred. That, that's what she argues here. She. Yeah. she well, even, I'm not saying you're bound by your IQ, but I'm saying that that IQ, like if if you, I think we've talked about this before, right? But but again, so the idea is that you have an IQ, and because she, she she gives an example of one point of a lady who went through 
the biographies and autobiographies of hundreds of the most successful people. And she laid out like the differences of IQs, all these factors, like some 70 some factors of um, psychological elements of, of what made them successful. And there was a huge gap of IQ. People who would be um, on the lower end of normal or below normal IQ and people who are closer to the genius I, level. I, I just, I, I think I say throwaway IQ. That's just my sense. No, well, sure. it's, it's an old, it's an old measurement that is not applicable. Well, I, I do think it's applicable because it's the, 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 the nature part, right? So if you take, if you take somebody with an IQ of 140 and they put in just as much time and effort as somebody with an IQ of 110, they're going to come out ahead in the same way that if you take somebody who's a freakishly athletic person and they put in the exact amount of effort as somebody who has very poor genetics and they're just killing it in the gym and they're killing it on their diet. The person with the freakish genetics, if they're putting in just as much effort, they're going to be ahead. Agreed. But the, the problem is that, you know, she had talked about here about IQ that if we were to use the same test on individuals now, we, that would mean that we have far smarter people now than we did before. Well, And, and that's why I think that because she gave the example of asking the test question. So if you ask a test question of a kid who wasn't in a public schooling system learning certain things, all they knew was like farm, like they were agriculture, an agrarian culture, and you're asking them questions, IQ questions that are aimed towards like, um, you know, the the phoneme structures of words or this, they're, they're, it's not that they're not capable, they just haven't learned those things. If those kids back 100, 200 years ago were in our schooling system, I think the IQs would be equivalent. I don't think that, that so what you were looking at, it was I, the- I, Go ahead. You were looking at the nurture then and saying that if you use our test, yeah, if you gave a kid a hundred years ago, the SAT, they're not going to know those things if they grew up on a farm. But if you put them through our schooling system, I don't think they'd be dumber than the kids are today. Correct. And that, that's why I argue that the IQ is not, it's not static. It can change. It can, but that people's doesn't, IQs can improve. And at the same time, it's, it's not a determining factor. No, but it, okay. It's, it's, I mean, at the very base level, sure it is, right? There, right. There's, but, but here, the, it is a determining factor. It's not the only determining factor. Yeah, but it's a minimal determining factor. Okay. So if you were to take your brightest student, going back to, to when you were a teacher, you take your brightest student and they were, were also your hardest working student, you're telling me they wouldn't be further along than your, an average student who worked the Twice same as level. Hard? Not twice as hard. No, 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 no. No, but what I'm saying is that twice as hard can compensate and eventually IQs can shift. Uh, okay, well, throw the IQ shifting to the side for a moment. I'm that's what I'm talking about. Uh, but, but what I'm saying, though, is if you were to take your brightest student, high IQ, to an average student, and they both worked the same effort. Correct. Yeah, no, I think the argument could be made that the person with the quote-unquote higher IQ is going to be more successful. Or it could be at that same time that we've we've thrown it that IQ is the reason why that individual is more successful when there's other things that we can yeah, attribute. Yeah, I'm not arguing that. I, I'm definitely saying that effort is probably more important than IQ and that effort is more important than natural talent. But what you're saying is it's not a factor. I'm saying it is a factor. It's just not the only I'm factor. just telling parents, don't look at your kids' IQ scores. It's not worth your time. It's not, you're going to judge your kids the rest of your life. Don't do it. It's a waste of your time. Would you say the same though, if, if this kid was like gate, extremely high talented and they needed special, like 
focus and there, there's other there's other ways to it's easy there's other ways to easily determine that i think i think iq is something that needs to be reevaluated but this is not an education podcast so we're just gonna leave, leave it alone well but the, the well, reason let's i think it's leave it alone well why can't we leave it alone all right we'll do whatever orlando wants no no go ahead tell me why we shouldn't leave it alone the point i'm trying to say is you can't just because there's a limit, I think people get frustrated because they they get told there's some kind of limiting factor, right? Skill. That is frustrating. Account. But what I was saying earlier is even people who have, we all have some kind of a limit on our life. Almost none of us reach that limit. So even if you have a, a lower IQ, I am saying that might be a factor, but yeah, effort is going to outdo it. It's not the only factor. You are probably, most people are never going to reach their potential in almost anything. But that's why I'm saying it does. it's irrelevant. Like if... If if effort can counter that, why focus on it? That's all I'm saying. Like if if you can do twice the effort and get the same results, why focus on that? Right? The the, the outcome is what's important. Right? And so if somebody's able to put in that effort, I just say let let's let's celebrate the effort instead of a, a random it's not a random score, but a score that's been you know put together that to this point is being constantly challenged, especially in the year 2020. So that's all. But anyways, I see what you're saying. I agree. I, I've been on both sides of this argument too. So, all right. You ready to move on? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait, we're at the end of the, we're at the end of our, our study here. Wow. Cause yeah, we jumped pretty quick. So, so what do you think so far? You, yeah, I think it's good. I think I think it's encouraging. I hope all of you are encouraged by this discussion because here's the thing. I think so many times in life we, we get told that we, we're not going to amount to anything or that, you know, we can't make it happen or that, you know, we limit ourselves too, right? Maybe we had a tough time in school. Maybe we had an IQ test that we took and we felt that it determined who we are or, you know, we've put in situations that have limited us and we limit ourselves. But to me, this book is super powerful because it tells you that, hey, if you have the grit and you're willing to put in that effort, even if it means you have to put double the effort, you can still get to the same place with someone who is able to do it because for a reason, they are more inclined to something, but they're not willing to. So it's just something to think about. Yeah. And with that being said, make sure to be real. Be relevant. And be reselling. Peace. Peace.